0: Welcome to episode 107. Today, the legendary Trevor McKenzie joins us to talk about how to make inquiry-based learning relevant and possible for multilingual students. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful More and more schools are implementing inquiry-based learning as a model of instruction. The question often asked is, what does it look like for multilinguals? We are in for a rare treat, as we have one of the most respected experts on inquiry-based learning, Trevor McKenzie, all the way from British Columbia, on the podcast. You'll learn about how we can apply this cycle to what we already know what works for multilingual students. A very careful attention to how Trevor McKenzie is also a language specialist, just like us. Now, on to today's podcast. I am so excited and honored to have the one and only Trevor McKenzie, all the way from beautiful Victoria, British Columbia. I don't know how you even said yes to me, right? I'm just so honored that such a, a living guru master of inquiry-based learning is here to share because we are so excited to learn how to make inquiry learning happen from multilingual. So Trevor, for the work that you do, continue to do, I'm so honored to have you here. You're too kind, Tan.
1: Thank you. I'm blushing. You made me blush. That was amazing. So thank you for that kind, uh, you know, invitation to the conversation. And I'm honored to spend time with you and to learn from you about how to best support our multilanguage learners. So thank you for having me. This is exciting.
0: I think of two people, Kath Murdoch and mm-hmm. you. When I mm-hmm. when I when we think about multiling when we think about inquiry learning, Kath Murdoch and Trevor McKenzie. It's just wow. Thank you're, you. You're, you're yeah. just at that level. So. Wow.
1: Thank you, Kath. Is a dear mentor a fantastic friend. I've learned so much from her. And um, I am standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, inquiry-based learning is nothing new. It's been around for decades, right. generations, and i um, very much thankful to connect with teachers and share my passion for inquiry and thankful for your warm words. Thank you, Tan.
0: <laughs> well, we are standing on your shoulders because you have produced such, well, you've produced four books, but the way many people know about you is through your types of student inquiry uh, infographic with this and the second I saw it, I was like, yes. It's a picture of a pool with different kids, some kids at like holding on to the edge of the pool, some kids with like little pad- padding boards, some kids swimming but not in the deep deep part, and then some kids diving full into the deepest part. And I was like, Yes. This is what we this is this is what we needed to explain inquiry based learning because people were like, jump in, go mm-hmm, to the deep end, mm-hmm. go ahead. So, would you talk about that um, that graphic a little bit?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know that graphic. Um, we published that many years ago now, and uh, you know, I walk into schools that I support around the world now virtually, but pre-COVID, it was you know flying to schools face to face, and and I, I I'm welcomed into these schools, and I see this sketch note, this infographic hanging on walls, and it, it fills my heart. But I think it's resonated so deeply with teachers because. Inquiry can be quite confusing. There are a lot of misconceptions around inquiry-based learning. Um, You know, one misconception is that when we think of inquiry-based learning, we think of free inquiry or personal inquiry where students have complete choice and agency over their learning from you know, the content and the question and the resources to how they're going to demonstrate their learning, what it is that they're going to create as almost an artifact to speak to or share with a public audience. And and although free inquiry, personal inquiry is very powerful and it's, it's very rich, it's deep in learning and deep in experience for the student. It's not the only type of inquiry. There are actually four types of inquiry that allow teachers to kind of become more partners with students, for teachers to lead an inquiry And slowly through a gradual release of responsibility over learning, share the learning kind of decision making and heavy lifting with students to help them become more ready and competent in free personal inquiry. So that schedule begins to help teachers reimagine what inquiry can look like and sound like and feel like. and really propose that teachers become partners with students to it's not a free for all nor is it a, an entirely teacher directed experience right. there is a partnership there and i think that sketch note in part that's why it's resonated most with with teachers
0: right and i think that has resonated with language specialists because we always think about okay how do we scaffold this for kids and that graphic that sketch note really shows hey you're in the water with kids kids have different experiences they're not at the deep end some kids are, but we for multilinguals we differentiate and we scaffold. Some have little uh kickboards, and some have no kickboards, but they're with the teacher, right? And so, yeah. that you really captured scaffolding for all students, but in particular, multilinguals in that graphic.
1: Yeah, thank you. And I, I think not only can all teachers see themselves in that pool and, and, and their role differing from student to student or class to class, but I think students can see themselves in that pool as well. You know, the sketchnote is a resource that we also bring in to support students in inquiry. you know, to to lower their anxieties and uncertainties around taking on more agency over learning to show them where we are and where we're going to go to next across the pool. And to to begin to focus on not just the the language in, in our conversation that we're focusing on, not just the language acquisition, but also the skill acquisition. What are the skills students need to sharpen and flex across time? To travel across those types of inquiry. So, I think the sketch note helps teachers reimagine their role with students and reimagine their curriculum across those four types, but it also really helps students understand inquiry uh, a lot better, a lot more clearly, and a lot more confidently. We want students to feel calm and confident in class, not anxious and stressed. And if we kick them into the deep end, um, we are going to elicit some of those emotions that we're trying to avoid. So it, it also helps students be more comfortable and successful in inquiry.
0: Well, you just um, touched the heart of all language specialists because you said something that's really key to our practice. We have something called in the field, uh, effective filter, which is created by Dr. Krashen, or labeled by Dr. Krashen. He said, when language learners, when multilinguals are stressed, they're not going to be able to process language or produce language and that's exactly what you talked about
1: yeah yeah it it sounds so trite and cliche tan but but feelings matter you know students feelings matter Mm -hmm. and uh, i've really gone down this pathway the last number of years of finding fellow educators consultants experts in our field that will inform my practice around the power of student emotions and student feelings you know guy claxton is one educator that comes to mind that has supported my understanding of the importance of creating calm for our students you know, we often talk about having students develop collaboration and, and communication and critical thinking and creativity as competencies but rarely do we talk enough about calm and how creating more calm in our day more time for students to settle into themselves not just as a learner but to understand themselves their identity their culture and their world around them through a calm lens and and I'm very much interested in how schools can create more calm undeniably it doesn't you know surprise me that you reference that work um, you know that strikes me as being really really authentic and really really, um, yeah relevant and sensible you know students learn better when they're not stressed and i think a little bit of stress is okay but there's a fine line isn't there and yes. uh we want our students to to understand where that line is for each of them because i think that line is different for each of our students right. and so to have more of those conversations with our our students and for us to be really really aware of how we can create more calm in our classrooms i think it's an important conversation for us to
0: have right. we talk about uh, we want to stretch kids, not snap their spirits. Mm, so mm-hmm. you, that's that's
1: cool. lovely. Oh, <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic.
0: I have a question. Actually, I'm so excited to have you because I, I'm i excited to have you on the podcast because I just learned that you're still teaching. Right? Mm-hmm. And so you have continued this. So you created this graphic many, many years ago, yet you're still in the pool. Yet you're still beside the pool with the kids and you work at a school that's five minutes away. So what has your understanding of inquiry, how has it evolved since you uh, first start started working with it? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's been quite a journey. You know, I, I think I, I when I started teaching um, many years ago, 20 plus years ago, I, I think that I, I taught the way that I was taught, yes. you know, I, I taught, I knew teaching through the lens of being a learner. And and I I never experienced inquiry as a student in elementary school or high school or growing up. And I I went to a fantastic university with a fantastic, you know, educator training program. But I never heard of constructivism. I I never heard of inquiry. And so really for me, inquiry was something that I learned on the job. Uh, I learned inquiry from my students, in fact. You know, they didn't know we were... In inquiry, but through, through listening to their needs, through asking them certain questions, through being responsive to the students that I was working with, um, and through being a learner myself, Tan, you know, I, I was really much questioning my practice and asking how I could best meet the needs of the students I work with. I think slowly over the years I began to refine certain skills as a, as a practitioner that allowed me to become more confident and comfortable in inquiry and so that's really become a bit of the home for my my consulting and, and my publications is communicating to the broader educational audience well what does that look like and sound like and feel like from a teacher's perspective um, my work really isn't about the theoretical it is about the implementational it, it very much is um You know spoken from a perspective as you know this is how we can roll it out this is what's worked, and this is what hasn't worked um and my heart is in both classrooms you know my classroom with my students at the school that i work at but also in the classrooms of the schools that i support around the world and implementing inquiry-based learning it's such a beautiful thing when you connect with fellow educators just as we are right now who are committed to this endeavor who are a part of this rich and vibrant conversation and, and those conversations with the schools I support, it actually fuels my teaching. And then my teaching with my students fuels my work with teachers. So it's this beautiful synergy that I feel I've, I'm, I'm trying to strike. I'm trying to balance constantly. Um, but for me personally, I, I can't have one without the other. My heart is in the classroom with kids, but it's also in other people's classrooms. So um, that's an important piece. And I, I thank you for raising that. You know, it's, it's important for me to be able to do both.
0: Right, because you have a foot in the class and then you have a and then you have a foot in a in a the consulting world where you're sharing what you did last week, last month, yesterday. And so you really yeah. make it real.
1: Yeah, thank you. And you know, Tan, I, I have to say, you know, I, I'm a different teacher this year than I was last year, than I was the year before. And I think that's important to to note in your question. How have I changed over time? Things are constantly changing, Uh, you know, as, as we were just talking about the importance of calm and ease in the classroom, that's new language for me that I wasn't using four or five years ago. And so I think in inquiry, we are inquirers ourselves, you know, teachers embody those dispositions of inquiring and questioning and and getting interrogative of our teaching practice. And in doing that, we begin to, you know, coach and model the same dispositions for our students to adopt and sharpen and flex. So I'm very much a different teacher than I was previously, and I certainly will be a different teacher, you know, in the coming years because I am an inquirer myself.
0: Right. It's because we we teach the same grade multiple years, but because it's a new audience, we're a new teacher.
1: Yes. Well, th- we, we would hope that's the case, wouldn't we, Tan? That, that's exactly what we hope is that although we teach the same curriculum year after year, our students are different and, and we don't over plan our unit design or overplan our curriculum without getting to know our students, you know, their strengths, their stretches, their interests, their goals. And then together, we begin to sculpt that curriculum because the curriculum is kind of agile and malleable, and we can certainly be agile. So together, we build something. And I think you referenced something very, very important. That's the hope is that teachers, although we may be teaching the same grade, discipline, content each year, we don't do it the same because we, of course, have different students that we're supporting and serving.
0: Let's talk about uh, your work with teachers. When they, when you come to consult with them, of course, what's the main thing that teachers have raised about inquiry-based learning, and then how do you address that?
1: I think the main thing, or a main thing, one one really important thing for us to unpack is this misconception that inquiry is merely free inquiry or that open end of the swimming pool, and, and that's just not the case. You know. Um, for, for many reasons, you know, one reason is for our students to be successful, with that type of agency over learning, that type of ownership, they need to develop certain competencies, certain skills to be successful with that agency over learning. And so that becomes a part of the conversation pretty quick. What are those competencies? How are we coaching and modeling those across a span of time? How are students becoming more cognizant of them? Um, and then in turn setting goals to improve in all competency development areas so that they can be successful in all types of inquiry. So that, that's a big piece that comes up specifically from any multi kind of environments that I visit is how do we get to free inquiry or open inquiry when students don't have the language yes. to ask those big questions, to understand the research, to plan the research, to get through all this, the phases of an inquiry cycle. Um, and, and so we we kind of put that open inquiry aside and we say we're not there yet we're going to start in the shallow end and there are certain certain language absolutely that we're going to introduce that we're going to begin to sharpen and refine across time but also certain skills that we're going to introduce certain competencies that we're going to refine and sharpen over time so breaking down that misconception that inquiry is merely free inquiry personal inquiry open inquiry i've referred to all three they're synonymous breaking down that misconception and getting teachers into the shallow end. I would say that's commonly a first step in the schools that I support that are new to inquiry. Right,
0: you definitely uh, uh, echoed what Kath Murdoch once said at my school. She came and visited and she did a workshop and someone said, cause our school is an international school so a lot of kids are developing their uh, English proficiency skills. And someone said, well, what if a kid is a beginner, right? And she said, So inquiry is going to look very, very different. It's going to look very um, limited in this first perspective, but we're still developing their inquiry skills alongside their language skills. And once they get uh, more proficiency, we'll add more layers of inquiry based uh, based upon their growth. And that's what you have said.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I I'm a huge Kath Murdoch fan, you know, and and hearing you say those words and that reflection warms my heart. I, it feels like I was in that room and I could hear Kath say those words, and, and you know, of course she nailed it. You know, the, the inquiry skills are those competencies, or excuse me, competencies, dispositions that I refer to, and also we're we're responsive to where our students are are at. Maybe we have a few students who are more uh, beginner or or entry, entering into this uh, language acquisition. And maybe we have a few students who are further along, who are a little bit more advanced, who are able to be more successful in different types of inquiry. And that's the beautiful thing is we can do both. It, it's not that we have to corral all students to one level, to entry or beginner or shallow end. We can really tailor this student experience based on what their strengths are, what their stretches are and what their competencies, where their competencies are currently at. Um, you know, for some teachers, that can sound really overwhelming. Like, how do I teach two different things? In inquiry, it actually is quite easier. The, 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 the more we become familiar with the inquiry model and the types of inquiry swimming pool, the more we begin to see ourselves as being partners in learning, where we talk with students, we coach and we model, and we create the conditions for them to do some of the heavy lifting of learning as well.
0: You talked about the inquiry model, how would we, how can you walk us through the inquiry model specifically with the lens of supporting multilinguals? Yeah, that's
1: a whole workshop right there, Tan, that's a big question. Um, You know, the the, the inquiry model, and and there are many, to be honest, Um, you know, in my publications, you know, we promote one model, one one cycle of inquiry, and the language in, in our model is a little different than the language in other publications. Um, and so I'll try to kind of compartmentalize each phase using some common language, you know, the, the, the first phase and by no means do we have to go through these chronologically in order, but, um, you know, the first phase tends to be this tuning in phase where we invite students to the learning with the goal of sparking their curiosity, sparking their wonder, um, finding some kind of authentic entry points into the curriculum. And when I say authentic, I mean personally relevant to the student. Um, Provocations come into play. Provocations are those really enticing invitations, whether they're videos or loose parts or provocative images, again, to spark the students wonder. Um, You know, this should be an environment where students are, are curious, are engaged, find the learning meaningful and relevant. And in doing so, they ask questions, they begin to create questions, and this is a competency we need to flex across time as well, questioning. Um, but they begin to ask questions that will frame the other phases in the inquiry model, which will take us into some research, you know, this would be a, a larger phase. Sometimes it's broken down into smaller phases, if you will. But we begin to differentiate based on the students' questions from the first uh, realm, tuning in. We begin to differentiate where they're going to find the information that they need to know to explore the questions that they're curious about, the, the, to explore the questions that they're asking. Um, This is a really rich opportunity, as I said, to differentiate. Some students will go to uh, a thicker resource, a meatier resource or database, and some students will need something a little bit more aligned with their their language level and their entry point into inquiry. Um, In the research phase, we ask further questions. We ask, okay, what do I know now? What else do I need to know to move my learning forward? So it's highly reflective um highly you know we conference with kids a lot we're always talking with kids to determine what our next steps are Um, and then slowly we move into a round where we want to begin to organize our learning and what we've researched to create something that's going to be a demonstration of our learning something whether it's an artifact maybe it's an essay maybe it's a presentation of some sort I have students create the most uh, unbelievable artifacts that represent their inquiry. Um, and, and this artifact is something that they're going to share out to their peers or to a public audience uh, or to the teacher. Um, hopefully, the learning transcends merely the teacher-student relationship, You know, the two-way street. Hopefully, it, it, it impacts others. Um, and, and this would be a phase where, again, they begin to organize their learning, the information, all the research and begin to show it in this artifact um, and then of course there's some kind of reflection throughout all these phases but at the end of the inquiry cycle we want students to go back and and reflect and revise is there anything that you learned about yourself as a learner is there anything you would have done differently um, i often use thinking routines from the work of ron richard and mark church you know, um, I used to think and now I think that's a fantastic one. You know, I used to think at the start of the inquiry and now I think that, yes. and that metacognitive kind of thread across the inquiry cycles is, is a really powerful uh, piece of, of what the students talk about. So, um, yeah, does that help at all, Tan? I know that's I threw amazing. a lot at the audience there, but no, does that help?
0: Amazing. Can I? i'll, I'll... Can I can I now uh, explain it from Absolutely. my language perspective? Okay, so in the tuning in phase, this is what we would do as a language specialist. We would think about students' assets. We would say, what do they know from their home experience? What does the, their families know? What does it bring from? How can we connect what they have experienced into an inquiry? So, uh, building background knowledge, and then and then for tuning in, we have to make sure that it's comprehensible. Whatever the concept is, they have to understand. This is the topic that we're uh, tuning in to. For questioning, we can definitely, again, lead back to uh, asking, having kids ask questions in their home language, but they, we can also have kids go home and ask their guardians to, hey, this is the thing we just did today about the tuning in. Mom and dad, aunts and uncles, grandpa, what did you, how does this connect to you? Da, da, da. For example, we might, we, a tuning in might be about parks we can have kids ask multiple questions about parks and then what kids can do is they can go home and they can ask their mom and dad, grandparents, uncles, what are parks like in the, our country when we when you live there? What was it like there? Right? And so we can get all these questions there. For Love the research, this.
1: This is so great, Tan. Yeah? Thank you for sharing. You Please go. keep going. Please keep going. For
0: the research part, we can differentiate uh, thinking about okay, you are gonna research parks. You this is what you want to research, like parks design, like uh, sustainable parks design. You're gonna go research in your home language, right? You're gonna go possibly call a family member in back in India and then say, hey, how are parks created? Can you go to a park? Can you just like zoom in a park for me? Can we can we set a time to go look at a park virtually? They can go and um, research articles or watch videos in their home language. I still remember I had a Chinese student from grade seven and he came, he flew from China into Laos and he didn't know any English, but that's not a problem. The teacher wanted him to learn about uh, the human impact on rivers. Mm. So he he's still learning how to say like, can I go to the bathroom, right? But we didn't dumb down the inquiry for him. We said, Zheng Hong, uh, would you like to study uh, about a river in China? And he said, yes, he, And I, and I said, Can you name all the rivers? And he said, yes, here are some of the rivers that I know and he said, which one would you like to know about? And He said, Oh, uh, The Yangtze River. I said, Okay, great. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go find YouTube videos and articles in Chinese about the Yangtze River, but make sure it's about damming and how people are using the Yangtze River. And this whole conversation was done in Chinese on Google Translate. Right.
1: Mm, unbelievable.
0: Right. So he came back with all this research. He wrote, he wrote things in Chinese, took notes, and he said, here's my research. I'm ready to go produce a product for it. And the product was the teacher wanted him to create an essay, but we differentiated for him. We said, we're going to make an animated video using Adobe Spark. He, so he found pictures. He found mm-hmm. uh, clippings. And then he typed in Chinese what he got from his research. It's it's spat out in Google Translate. And he put the Google translated version into as subtitles for his animated video.
1: Right? Unbelievable. Yeah. And you know, one piece that I love that you've referenced several times is our willingness to differentiate. You know i i can't uh, you know push this this notion enough is is we're responsive to the students that we support right. and it's not one size fits all for our, for for our students we we are responsive we differentiate we scaffold and and you're modeling that right now we scaffold and and that is the power of inquiry. It's not the one-size-fits-all model. It's let's get to know our students. You said tuning in, really tune into who they are, their culture, you know, their prior knowledge and experience, and how can we leverage those to plan the learning together. So that I, I'm just loving everything that you're sharing, Tan.
0: Oh, thanks. And for the organized part, this is the where the part where the language specialists can really help. You can we can use uh, something that comes from Dr. Jeff Spears he has something called the features of academic language, which he says, we can scaffold on the word, the sentence or the discourse level. So Mm. looking at Zhang Hong, he needed to know the words like uh, uh, ecosystem, right? But he also needed like sentence starters to help him be able to produce that language. And then he needed the discourse, which is uh, there's a beginning part of the video, there's a middle part of the video, and then there's end part of the video. So we as language specialists can help kids get that language or organize their language, like you said. And the last one, oh, you, we can also, for when we organize, we can also use Carol Tomlinson's approach, which is content, product, and process. We, and mm. I guess we kind of already did that for Zhang Hong. We kept the content the same, but we used his background knowledge of China, and we differentiated the product, and, but, and we also differentiated the process to say research in Chinese. And then the last one, the reflection is you kind of gave us already one, which is sentence starters or sentence frames of uh, it's. It comes from Visible Learning, sorry, Project Zero, um, and it's it. I used to think, but now I think, right? and so yeah, and the kids can and reflect in their home language.
1: Absolutely, easily, right? yes, yeah. I, I think that's a key piece: is that it, it's okay for students to use their home language. Yes to scaffold into language acquisition. And I think that's a bit of a misconception, isn't it, San? I'm sure you've seen this in your work that, oh, we can't have students speaking or using their home language. Like, no, 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 this has to be an immersive language acquisition environment. And that's just not the case. I think if that is the case, that creates that stress and anxiety that we're trying to avoid. Right.
0: Because inquiry is inquiry in any language. Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Absolutely. Right. Tuning You're, in,
0: yeah. organizing, questioning, all those are the same thinking skills that they would need in any language. And so it's not Absolutely. Uh, only inherent in English, English instruction.
1: No, you're right, Tan. That's lovely. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Welcome. Um, let me get my question. So, so what, do you th- what has been really successful, have you noticed, when uh, teachers are working with multilinguals in the inquiry cycle?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, You know, I I think we've, we've talked about competency development a lot in this conversation. I think competency development is something that underpins all phases in the inquiry model. And so competency development is something that we want all students to strengthen and sharpen. Um, you know, identifying those competencies, coaching and modeling those competencies, and then asking students which competencies support their inquiry the most. You know, I often find with students who are learning English for perhaps the first time, you know, collaboration and social constructivism is is a big, big benefit. You know, the, the more they can get together and talk in their own language and with people who can support them and scaffold with them to push their thinking and their learning forward, um, that that competency of collaboration and, and, you know, overarchingly social constructivism. Like, we are better together. We are better when we work together and when we talk together. Um, I, I think that's an underpinning to, to all phases of inquiry. Wherever we are, we want students to be flexing that competency. So I think that's a big one, Tan. Um, you know, oftentimes when I visit schools for the first time, and this is a broad stroke, so forgive me, but the competency conversation isn't as fruitful yet. And and so we really want to embed that conversation with staff so they can embed more competency planning in their unit design and their lesson design, and then bring that conversation and those skills to their students more often so their students can benefit from sharpening those skills. So yes, it is about language acquisition, but it's also about skill acquisition. And in turn, if we're sharpening those skills, language acquisition, acquisition will be impacted undeniably. So that, that's a big piece. You know, I, another one is I think an underpinning of inquiry is is finding authenticity, finding personal relevance. Finding that personal connection, and and you referenced it as you were reflecting on the inquiry cycle. You know, when we tune in, we get to know our kids better. We get to know their prior knowledge. We get to know their background, their culture, and in turn, they're getting to know that better themselves, aren't they? And and as we begin to hear all that rich information, we begin to hear about those authentic connections to the curriculum, and we leverage those. That's the fruit of the labor that we really want to leverage, and so. Um, you know, personal relevance matters, engagement matters, context matters. And I find that with multi learners, when, when we discover those authentic connections to the curriculum, everything's impacted. They become calmer and more confident in their learning. Their, their acquisition increases over time. Um, so there should be that, that authentic, equitable entry point for all of our students. So those are two things that come to mind right away, you know, competency development. And then that underpinning of authenticity and personal relevance, those two come to mind right away.
0: Oh, you're, you don't know this, but you are a language specialist, Trevor. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) The things you were saying, you've said two things that have like made my heart go pitter-patter. And I'm telling my heart to be like, oh, be calm, be still. (laughs) the first thing you said was allowing kids to use their home languages. And teachers yeah. around the world right now are applauding. They're like, yes, do you hear what Trevor said? Trevor said when kids are in doing engaged inquiry learning, let them use their home language because that will lead to competency of the inquiry skills. And you also said it the other way. And you said as they're inquiring, their language development will grow as well. This is why we don't want kids to be pulled out of classes during inquiry learning time we want them to be part of the same experience because they will develop their critical thinking skills but they'll also develop their skills of inquiry learning and then also their language competency. Yeah. You also touched our hearts when you talked about uh, learning being relevant to kids, right? We want it to be like Dr. uh, Rudine Sims Bishop said, we want books and learning to be like mirrors that reflect Mm. who we are we uh-huh. want them to would be windows so we could see in other worlds, and we want to have sliding glass doors where we can walk into other worlds. And so, when you talk about relevance, you're talking about letting kids find something that it touches their own hearts, and then applying it to an educational setting. So, uh, basically, we're saying we're taking back the curriculum. We're not we're decolonizing the curriculum and saying, what speaks to you? Let's learn about it that way
1: yeah you know tan i I couldn't agree more you know i'm highly aware of my 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 colonized self that i bring to my teaching practice i'm highly aware of my whiteness and and being a man in a in a in in an environment where there's a spectrum of gender right and and the, the best way that i can invite students into the curriculum is to give them the curriculum and, and have them begin to find those personal entry points. You know, Asking them guiding questions such as, if you could show me your learning in any way, how would you like to show me what you know? And, and so then the entry point is theirs. The, the entry point is that here's the assignment, here's what you're doing, Here's here's what I want you to fit into. Through guiding questions, we begin to have students partner with us and we become more of a coach And model, and even then, as I'm coaching and modeling, I have to be aware of my biases and and what I bring to those conversations. I have to be an inquirer. I have to be highly tuned in and highly aware of and noticing what I'm bringing to the table each and every day. I, I talked about calm for students. A big goal for me is calm for me. So when I come into those conversations where I'm trying to create equity and personal relevance, I'm nice and calm and highly aware of what I could do to support the students' strengths and stretches to build learning together. So I mentioned briefly the word equity. Like I, I'm really, I, I think equitable access to success is very important in all classrooms. I think it, it becomes the forefront of our work in the inquiry classroom because students are able to find that equitable entry point, in part just due to what you referred to when students are are supported and and and. Uh, encouraged to use their home language um, that creates an equitable entry point where they feel confident, they feel successful and they feel that they're part of something that's theirs rather than something that's being forced upon them.
0: Right. You are the Yoda of inquiry learning. <laughs> You're <laughs> there too is, kind.
1: There is a zen you.
0: to you. There's a passion, but there's also like a such wise Zen to you about it. Oh, wow. Thank uh, you. I was talking with a school, Abbotsford School, and we were they're really heavy on they're really focused on equity and inclusion. And uh, I talked to them about inquiry learning because they really, they're, they're, they're going to have you as well. I know you partner with them. And they, they, want, they want to bridge that inquiry and equity, inquiry and multilinguals. And I think you said it correctly. It's when we do this for kids, when we allow kids to, multilingual kids, multilingual learners to learn and engage in equity learning, that is equity. We allow them to learn the same thing. Basically, we don't want principals or school administrators or so teachers to say, because you're learning English, you can't participate. Right? And you just said it. Equity is part of inquiry because it allows kids to be part of the process. And we just have to differentiate it so that it's equitable for kids.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you, Tan. You know, I think to several students who I'm teaching right now, And I'm thinking of their personalized pathways that we've created together into the learning. I'm thinking of their confidence. I'm thinking about their growth. I'm thinking about how engaged they are with their peers because of all that scaffolding and differentiation. And I'm thinking about the final year end conversations that I'm currently having with all my students, but these particular students that we're talking about now and how confident and calm and engaged those conversations are, how reflective they are. Um, I think of those competencies that they've developed over time, Um, and by no means am I a a multi-language learner expert or teaching expert, but through the lens of scaffolding and trying to create those equitable pathways, I see all students being successful, not just the ones that we're referring to in this podcast, but all students of differing abilities, differing cultures, um, differing prior experiences, they all have a safe and calm entry point in the learning. And that's something that I'm really, I try to pride myself on. How can I level the playing field of learning so all students can discover that authenticity and personal relevance? That's important to me.
0: Oh, Trevor, all the language specialists around the world are like clapping their hands, being like, yes, yes, he said it, kids can learn inquiry and language at the same time. Absolutely.
1: So, mm-hmm.
0: Well, I want to end this, before I end this podcast, is there anything else oh, I do want to ask you? How can administrators support multilinguals in an inquiry process?
1: Well, that's a big question. Um, you know, when I think of leaders, when I think of administrators specifically, um, you know, we really want administrators to lead using the systems and those frameworks that we want teachers to be using in their classrooms. If teachers are being asked to embed inquiry in their classrooms, to teach from an inquiry stance, to foster competency development, then certainly the time we have together as a staff, we need to reflect that. We need to lift up those same systems and frameworks. You know. We can't be sitting in staff meetings where we're talking at a staff for an hour. We need to embed structures where staff are you know, involved in social constructivism, involved in inquiry themselves. So that's a big piece. When I think of administration right away is if you want inquiry in the classroom, you have to almost have an inquiry school. You have yes. to have an inquiry staff. Yes. So th- that's one piece. You know, The other piece is that we've referenced this word many times in this episode, differentiation. And, and we really need to hone in on and tune into what do we mean by differentiation? What are the things with our multilanguage learners that we're going to value, that we're going to lift up and say, this is something that we differentiate through. These are some ideas of which we could differentiate through. One piece that we've referenced several times is, it's okay to speak in your home language. And from there we can build, we can scaffold from there. I think in, in many language environments I visit that's that's frowned upon you know oh no no you, you know you can't touch your your, your language, your home language that, that's, this is this is an English setting. this is an immersive setting. And that's just not the case. We need to talk about what differentiation looks like and sounds like and feels like, and then begin to lift up and celebrate what it is that actually looks like and sounds like and feels like. You know, I I believe that language acquisition, it should be at and slightly above, you know, each particular student. It, It doesn't have to be out of this world challenging. We certainly don't want to water it down, but in order to determine where our students are at and where they can go to next, we need to constantly be noticing and observing where our students are at to determine where they're going to go to next. So. Um, in order to get that kind of interrogative about our practice and observant of our students, leaders need to kind of coach that and model that curiosity and that interrogative practice of our, of what we're doing to best meet the needs of our students. So I know I threw a lot at you there, Tan. so forgive me, but that's a juicy conversation for us to have. How can schools lead through systems that will support inquiry in, in the classrooms? Notice how I started out not talking about, you know, language learners at all. I started talking about how can we lead staff to embed inquiry first? And then we sort of narrowed our focus to differentiation and the students that we serve.
0: Right, so you're talking about principals and school administrators leading, modeling. Mm-hmm. So leading absolutely. through modeling and then and then teachers will see that and then teachers will model that with their kids and then their kids will eventually learn that as well. So it's a whole yes. school thing.
1: It is, it should be, that that would be yes. the goal long-term. It's a whole school thing, absolutely. Right.
0: Right. It's not just like inquiry-based learning for one unit.
1: No, no. And it's not a worksheet and it's not uh, a project. And although there, there are worksheets and projects that bubble up in all classrooms, inquiry teaching is, is a stance. It's, it's how we plan. It's how we interact. It's how we, it's how we learn. And so, you know, to see a school lead through inquiry, what we're really trying to pinpoint is creating a culture of inquiry, where it's just not inquiry for the students. It, it's just how we operate in our school. Teachers are inquirers, right. leaders, administrators are inquirers, um, and students, of course, are inquirers as well.
0: Is there anything else that we have not mentioned or talked about in this podcast before I ended?
1: Absolutely. There's so much we haven't talked about. <laughs> you know, we got to have another episode. That, that's my kind request. You got to have me back, Tan. The you know, pl- I think, uh, yeah, it's an ongoing conversation. And and as we referenced earlier, the, the learning doesn't end, yes. right? You know, I, I learned so much from you. I have questions for you. And And um, certainly, you know, yeah, inquiry can't be compartmentalized in a single episode, nor would we want it to be. We want to continue this conversation so we can, of course, uh, become better teachers. Yeah.
0: Well, then that's a plug for inviting you to work at different school districts and then filling up your schedule and then also having multiple book studies of your books. And that's uh, the the next step. So this is just like the icing on on the the teaser. It's the the teaser. teaser. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for that.
0: Well, let me end with this. I have a little metaphor. Uh, it's a game. Uh it's called red light, yellow light and green light. So red light is something you ask teachers to stop doing in terms of inquiry-based learning. A yellow light is like something you would start doing. Kind of like when you see the yellow light you start start to slow down. Some people mm-hmm. go faster. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then a green light is what do you what should teachers keep doing?
1: Mhm. Mhm. And so where do you want to start do you want to start with up the red light you. up to you yeah uh you know red light for me um yeah um oh T- to stop holding the reins of learning too tightly and too guardedly and to to relinquish some control and not relinquish all control but um i find in, in the pandemic setting the remote learning setting I observed a lot of teachers pulling the reins tightly. You know, I, I've got to have more control because this looks different. This virtual learning landscape looks different. And and it goes to unpacking our biases, unpacking our experience as students, as teachers, to, in order to loosen the reins uh, of learning, we need to kind of reflect on what was our learning like as students. So that would be a red light for me as I don't hold the reins of learning too guardedly or too tightly. Um, You know, a a yellow light has to do with assessment and has to do with grades and marks and numbers and and those things, although they're data points, they certainly aren't the color of the experience and, and all that beauty that happens across learning. Um, So I would encourage teachers that if you're finding yourselves over grading, over numbering, over assessing to slow down and be a little bit more noticing and observant of what's happening before you and to embed more student reflection in your practice, how could you bring more student voice into your assessment? kind of practice and realm of the inquiry process. So that would be a yellow, you know, anytime I see too many numbers bubbling up and grades bubbling up, I I wanna kind of ease into the breaks a little. And and a green would be, um, we need to ask more questions, like question asking, that's something we just need to do all the time, whether it's our question or students' questions to guide the learning. Um, Questions are an underpinning of the inquiry classroom. Questions guide my professional development. I ask myself big questions to guide my learning. Questions frame unit design and questions frame the, the student's pathway. So whenever I see questions when I visit a school, when I peer into classrooms and I see questions on the wall, or I hear questions both from students and from teachers, um, I my heart kind of flutters. I, I get really, really happy. So that would be something that I would say is a, a big green light, questioning, questioning, questioning. Right. Because
0: where, there, where there's a question, there's learning.
1: And there's curiosity. Yes, absolutely. And so uh, questioning. And questioning is a competency that we need to flex. We can't expect our students just to ask these beautifully articulate, open-ended questions yet. We need to model that and coach that. And so that goes back to competency development. But I, I I would say green light, green light, questioning, questioning.
0: Oh, Trevor, this has been an amazing podcast. I always start my listeners would know that I always start my podcast or my blog or consulting with this prayer. May this serve kids I will never meet. And mm. Trevor, you this podcast alone will serve many kids who are multilinguals that you will never meet, and you have gifted them their voices back through this oh, podcast. Wow. So. Thank you for standing by our work. You are a language specialist, even though you don't know it. Tan, thank you so
1: much. You fill my heart. Looking forward to another conversation in the future, Okay.
0: Thank you. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now, on to our recap. Can you tell all the ways that Trevor McKenzie is a language specialist? He talks about the need to differentiate and scaffold the language of inquiry-based learning. He implores us to teach MLs to learn the inquiry-based competencies. And most importantly, he wants and believes that MLs need to take part in inquiry-based learning. This approach to instruction is not reserved for the privileged or only the proficient students. It can be made accessible for all students if we build in the right scaffold to support students along the way. So if you're co-teaching with someone who uses the Ingrid based model or if you use Ingrid based approach, know that this model is appropriate for multilinguals. It's our job and privilege to scaffold this learning approach for MLs. In the next episode, we join with Larry Falazzo and Katie Ho Spinevsky to talk about their second edition of the ESL ELL Teacher Survival Guide. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red yellow or green light from this particular episode.